Well, welcome. I got to tell you, I've done church all my life. I've never heard anybody say that at the end of communion. Cool. <laughs> but I think that's cool. <laughs> because it was kind of cool, wasn't it? My name is David. Welcome. We welcome all you Oak Hills uh, people, Oak Hills alum. Way to go. Black and red, knock them dead. I'm representing. I thought this would look better than a kilt today with my legs. Didn't our pipers do good? Man, awesome if you were here. If you came in late, you got to be on time. You missed stuff. You will hear from our bagpipers again at the end of the service. But we're doing this whole series called Religion Stinks. And we just basically been listing all of the reasons why religion wrongly practiced stinks to high heaven. No matter what school district you attend, it stinks. One final reason this weekend religion stinks is because of what I call all the judging and legalism. I want to talk to you a little bit about being judgy today because church and church people can be like the worst at this. It's honestly why a lot of people, maybe you're here for the first time after a long time, it's maybe one of the reasons why you stayed away from church. It's a turnoff because religious people prone to just look at themselves have judged people for so many things over so many years. And we in the church, we come up with these unwritten legalistic type rules, extra biblical stuff that people who we say follow Jesus are supposed to do. Now, I'm not talking about doctrinal stuff, that, that we can't compromise on that, but I'm talking about opinions. I mean, I could go, and I think I might, do a whole sermon just on this. Like, things like no dancing in or out of the church. Now, I've seen some of you dancing. That's probably a good law. I know some of you Elaine people and when I was doing youth ministry days, I tried to break dance once and I broke. It was not a pretty thing. But maybe it's dancing, maybe it's drinking, maybe it's smoking, maybe it's chewing, maybe it's for a season church people were against some kind of facial hair. Now it's tattoos or going to certain movies. When I grew up, the only movie I was allowed to go to was G-rated and it had to be Walt Disney. And my dad had kind of had this classification system. G was good, PG pretty good, R rotten, X extra rotten. <laughs> and now I've seen a couple PGs and maybe I'm getting older. There's some rotten in there too. But going to movies was kind of like one of these unwritten laws. For ladies, for a while in legalistic churches, it was wearing makeup or the way you styled your hair if you got hair. Uh, Especially, we tend to be judgy in the church when it comes to how people look or dress when they come to church. I grew up where you didn't go to church unless you had on a suit and a tie and a dress. Some ladies who are older here will remember hats. You didn't dare come in without a hat. Now, if you got a tie on today, awesome. I want someone here in our church to wear a tie to represent visitors who may come in with a tie. But I started wearing jeans uh, couple number of years ago, I feel so much comfortable. I bet you do too. Uh, and I got a little judged first time I rolled these Wranglers out. Somebody said, well, David, I, I saw this guy came up. He said, David, um, and he wasn't real happy. I think he was more of a formal guy. He said, David, if you went to visit the president of the United States, would you wear jeans? I said, probably not, unless he was my dad. 
then I would probably go into Oval Office with my sweatpants, my Nikes, and my jeans. See, when you worship, you're not worshiping somebody who's up there in authority. They are, but you're worshiping your dad. It's, it's all about relationship, not rules. But, but Christians over the years have had all kinds of issues with what people wear. And d don't get me even started on the rules that we impose on people when they come to worship in the right way to worship. When I first saw somebody, because I grew up kind of in my own little pharisaical group, legalistic pocket, I didn't know it. One of the sicknesses of legalism is you don't know you're messed up. <laughs> you think everybody else is messed up. I remember the first time I saw somebody raise their hand singing, I thought, oh my God, there's a charismatic snakes are going to come out. Uh, what are they thinking about? People started clapping their hands. I thought, oh no, you, you just don't do that. Our church here, when I came maybe 16 years ago, a wonderful rich history of our church, little more on the formal side for a long time. Our ushers years ago used to walk in cadence as they came down the aisle with communion. Some of you older Westwood Cheviotites can remember that. Things have changed a little bit since then. It's not your granddad's whitewater crossing anymore. I... Uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember talking with people all the time about how church should be a place of excitement. You clap at a ball game, you ought to clap for God. We, we ought to be real with each other. Let's not be so overly liturgical, overly formal. Let's approach God a, as a person. C can we do that? Oh, I remember early on in preaching, not here, but in another church. I, I as you may know, I use a little bit of humor when I talk. I think it relaxes people, it disarms people. Oh, this guy came up, he said, the pulpit, that's the way he said it, the pulpit is not a place for humor. And I said, you know, if you knew how much I held back, <laughs> you'd compliment me. Because <laughs> I think God laughs. I mean, look at us. Are you kidding? God doesn't have a sense of humor. For some of you, he's really laughing. That's a little judgy, though. i got to be careful about that. <laughs> Using musical instruments is an issue in some churches. We have a, a sector of our Christian churches, churches of Christ, who don't believe that you ought to use a musical instrument, and they really are legalistic about that. Maybe it's accepting divorced people, accepting people who have endured an abortion. Now, some of this comes from what I would call a radical, profound misunderstanding of the difference between the Old Testament and the New, the Old Covenant and the New. I don't have time to talk about that. But churches are not the only entity that can be legalistic. You can have legalistic church camps, legalistic Christian schools, legalistic Bible colleges, legalistic parachurch groups, and certain people, I know you're not going to believe this, there are certain individuals who are like really rule-based judges. They consider it their job to tell everybody what they're doing wrong and never look at themselves about what they're doing. Well, how do you know if you're a legalist or in a legalistic church? So let me give you a couple things. With deference to Jeff Foxworthy, you know you're a redneck win. Let, let me just give you a, a few uh, markers about how you know that you're in a legalistic church. See if these resonate with you. I sure hope for your sake that they don't. But you might be a legalist. You might be in a legalistic church. Number one, if you're not allowed to question anything in the church, anything, if the pastor, the key faith leaders have only one right answer for everything, and you cannot ask legitimate questions without receiving a look of consternation, you're probably in a legalistic church. 
Jesus, as you study his life, he embraced questions. Legalistic people in churches silence questions. But I found out this. You cannot sustain a faith that cannot sustain questions. And so this needs to be a place, although we have strong opinions about stuff, it, it, it can't be just like speak for God. In fact, you might be in a legalistic church in this way, number two, if there's no room for respectful disagreement. If like obedience to the established authority of the elders or the pastor in a church is seen as equal to or the same as obedience to God, you're probably in a legalistic church. If someone takes all of their preferences because all of us have preferences, and presents them as essential doctrines. If opinion is presented as doctrine, you're probably in a legalistic church. I love this quote from our movement here in the Christian church of trying to restore the Christian church in the book of Acts, the Acts 2 church. That's our goal. Whatever they did, we want to do Bible things in Bible ways by how they did in Acts. If ever there was a perfect church, the book of Acts, the church in Acts, had to be the perfect church. So here's a phrase that our forerunners used in this effort to restore the church. In essentials, doctrinal things, we're going to have unity. In non-essentials, which are preferences, opinions, we're going to have liberty. Everybody should be able to choose what they want to do. But in all things, regardless, we're going to have charity or love. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. I'm telling you what, the church would be so much better if we would define the difference between a preference and a doctrine. We had someone, we have people come and go in this church for the most odd reasons. We have a, a, people leave the church over, I, I think, bizarre reasons. So, some years ago, we had someone leave the church, and the final straw was because we chose not to capitalize our church name in some of our printed signage and material. We chose to use a lower case, so it was a little less formal and a little more inviting. I, I call it <laughs> transition because of punctuation. Really? This was the final straw. I said, oh, really? Is this the essential thing? <laughs> I can tell you time and time again, people have left this church over the stupidest reasons. Now, what they do, they go find another church and they find out, you know what, that wasn't so hot. I like white water is, is bad, but it ain't as bad as that. So I think I'll come back. And people wonder why ministers quit or, or retire, you know. But legalistic people thinking everything has to line up or they're not going to stay. Can I just say in a church this size, there's a lot of opinions about how things should be done. Sometimes we do. I don't get my way all the time either. I know you say, oh, David, bonnet. No, I don't get my way all the time here either. I submit to others' preferences sometimes because it's not a doctrinal issue. I'll never compromise on the doctrine, but preference, mm. If a church insists on like a certain political stance or person or party, you might be in a legalistic church. I vote. I hope you vote too. I hope you vote the right way like I do. <laughs> That's so funny. But when, but when the church aligns too much with a certain political party, let me tell you who loses. The church always loses. You know what the church plus politics equals? Politics. The church always loses. You might be in a legalistic church if everybody in that church decides who's in and out of heaven based on the church they attend. When I was a Pharisee, a young Pharisee in my life, I'm ashamed to admit this, there was actually a chapter in my life when I thought I was the only one going to heaven and the people who were members of my 
independent Christian church, Church of Christ, we're only ones going to heaven. And I wasn't even too sure about some of them in my own church. I mean, think about the small-mindedness of that to say we're the only ones going. Oh, there are others too. I could go on and on. But legalism at its essence, this rule-based thinking and doing religion is very poisonous. Yes, we are to live a holy life. Yes, there should be guidelines and standards, especially if you're a leader. You're held to a little higher standard. But Christianity is not a, a set of rules. It's a relationship with a person named Jesus Christ. And it's important for me and for you to hear today, it's important for me to define judgmentalism and legalism for you. See, there's a huge difference between and this is a cultural thing I want to try to get into your mind to think about. There's a huge difference between judging a person and speaking the truth about their immoral behavior. See, just because you stand for a New Testament truth, a right or wrong, doesn't mean you're judgy. I get this all the time when I preach a passage or talk about some hard truth about a social or a cultural issue, and I'll inevitably get an email, David, you're just being judgmental. That doesn't sound very loving when you criticize something that the Bible clearly doctrinally says is right or wrong. It's a sin. David, you're just being judgy. No, I'm not. I'm just making an observation consistent with what Jesus Christ said. When he changes, I'll change. So there's a difference between that and criticizing people for extra biblical things. By the way, we're moving to a culture where the truth sounds like hate for those who hate the truth. Amen. That day is here. T truth is often exclusive. It's offensive. I want my Position, if my position is offensive, okay. I just don't want my disposition to be offensive because I can go that way too. Our goal is to be full of grace, full of truth. So watch the judginess when it comes to extra biblical things. Stand firm from the truth, but watch the judginess, even judging the preacher, when things happen that are in that area. Now, if you want to know how Jesus really feels about rules and legalism, just sometime this week, read Matthew chapter 23. He, he was doing this battle royale, this throwdown with all of these scribes and Pharisees about what was important. In fact, let me show you John chapter 9. I, I want to uh, turn over there and kind of walk you through this. John 9 is this perfect illustration of what I'm talking about, about people who get so focused on the rules that they forget the relationship. Check this out. And some of this applies to some of you here this morning, even if it's your first time and you're from Oak Hills. It might say, especially if you're from Oak Hills. I'm just playing. I, I don't want to be judgy today. I'm trying hard. As he went along, Jesus is going along now. This he is Jesus. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? A lot of people today make the same mistake. This guy must have done something really bad for that bad thing to happen to him. Not always. Sometimes our behavior does affect our physical issues. Sometimes it's not. There must be a reason. Jesus replied, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Notice he talked about him and his parents. Remember that. That. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. 
That's something that some of you need to hang on to. This bad stuff is not because God hates you, but it is, he's allowing it so the work of God can be displayed in your valley. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He wants to illuminate uh, what we're talking about. And after saying this, verse 6, this is kind of a gross thing now. Your kids, some of you with little kids, this is, no, this is your everyday life. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some bud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. This is like Jerusalem mud stash, you know, at Perfect North or something. How messy, how yucky. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word Siloam literally means sent. It's kind of a play on words. Go, I'm sending you over there. So the man went and he washed and came home seeing. Boy, what a great verse to set up next week's all in. We're going to baptize a bunch of people. This is our goal. I don't know, 40, 50, 60 folks who come to the place in their life where they want to be washed and have their sins washed away. If you're in this service, you have questions, or you want some information about that in room 202, right after this service, James Hansey and some others will be back there to kind of process what that looks like. But that's next week, all in. And it's the idea of washing, and you will see yourself in a different way. God sees you in a different way. But go wash. And so the man went and came home seeing. Now, you'd think everybody would be excited about that, wouldn't you? A man who was blind from birth. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't it the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, Nah, he only looks like him. <laughs> you see the play between blindness and seeing already. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. Hey, it's really me. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, which would have been, by the way, ceremonially unclean to, to do that with a spittle. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. Would to God that he would heal a lot of our eyes. He told me to go Salome and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him, I don't know, he said. Now, one reason he didn't know is that he hadn't seen Jesus' face yet, right? He was still blind when he left Jesus. And they brought to the Pharisees, oh no. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind, who didn't like this guy. They, they would have agreed and why the disciples asked the question, who sinned? The, the Pharisees would have said, you know what? That guy or his parents, somebody sinned, and that's why that guy's in the shape that he's in. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a what? Mm. This guy chose to get healed on the wrong stinking day. You could do anything in their world unless it was on the Sabbath day, even healing a person. They had all kinds of rules. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, by the way, the religious people are who crucified Jesus. The religious people. The religious people today, they took the Ten Commandments of Moses, which are pretty good, and added more. Legalistic people always do this. They presume to know more than God. I, I have it all the time. David, I know that's not in the New Testament, but it should be. <laughs> I know that's not what God said, but I bet you God doesn't like that. 
The, the, the Pharisees, they came up with 613 additional laws for people to obey by the time Jesus came on the scene. 39 of them for just the Sabbath day, which was their day was Saturday. You could only walk a certain distance on the Sabbath day. You couldn't cut your fingernails on the Sabbath day. You couldn't get your animal out of a ditch. You, you couldn't give yourself medicine. That was practicing being a doctor. You couldn't look in a mirror fixed to a wall. Why? I have no idea. S some of you ladies and men, you'd be in so much trouble in their day. <laughs> you couldn't even light a candle on the Sabbath day. That was too much work. If your chicken, this is how ridiculous this was. If your chicken laid an egg on the Sabbath day, in their view, you couldn't eat it. Now, you could sell it to a Gentile, and they could eat it, but man, healing on the Sabbath was a big no-no. So many rules that the scribes and Pharisees, they couldn't even agree on a complete list of do's and don'ts. That's why there's so much arguing among legalistic churches. Jesus called these laws, these extra-biblical laws, the tradition of the elders, and he didn't give a rip about them, because he knew the heart. And the motive behind the original law. So what Jesus comes along did, and it drove them crazy. He reframed it, he simplified, he summarized all the laws, all the hundreds of ones, down to just two. You remember what they were? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets, he said, hang on these two little things. You get those two right, everything else you don't have to worry about. Listen, when your version of religion gets in the way of love, you got the wrong version. That's why it stinks. So, oh, he opened the man's eyes on that day. It was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees who also asked him how he had received his sight, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. <laughs> you would think, oh, boy, this is a cause for celebration. Man been blind from birth. Some of the Pharisees said, you could just hear him muttering, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others ask, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. It's a conundrum. Then they turned again to the blind man. By the way, he's not really blind anymore. They're still calling him that. <laughs> oh, this is so rich. You realize that some people won't let you escape from your past? Once they've categorized you as one way, they'll never let you get out of that. That's what legalistic people do. They turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's got the right answer to the Bible quiz. He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind. <laughs> and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Oh, we got to check this out more. Is this your son? Now remember, as they went along, the disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents? We got to get these parents in. <laughs> they still didn't believe. Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. They kind of throw him under the bus again. Why did his parents do that? His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said he is of age, ask him. To be cast out of the synagogue in their day was relational, spiritual, societal purgatory. You just didn't want to do that. There are more, when legalism makes us more afraid of men than we are of God. 
Verse 24, now it's starting to get fun. Don't you know the angels are up in heaven saying, hey, watch this. A second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. That's what he was trying to do, by the way. We know this man, talking about Jesus, is a sinner. He replied, oh, this is, the, this, this is the classic line of all lines. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I once was blind, and now I see. Oh, the proof's in the pudding. There's nothing more powerful than a changed life. A Christian with a testimony trumps a skeptic with an argument every time. I know that some of y'all are thinking, well, how can I witness to my friend? Just say I once was blind, and now I see. Life change has occurred. Then they ask him, what did he do to you? Notice they continue to interrogate them. How did he open your eyes? Now, by this time, wouldn't you be a little flustered? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear, hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, I would just love to be a fly on the Jerusalem wall. Then they hurled insults at him. That's what legalistic people always do. They resort to name calling and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't know where he came from. The man answered, and that is remarkable. He's like schooling the sc at the school teachers. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. See, he's moved from being blind to being brave. That's what you, a lot of you are doing. To this they replied, this is very kind, isn't it? You were steeped in sin at birth. Not just you, not your parents. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They did him a favor, by the way. You get thrown out of a legalistic church, good for you. Welcome to grace. And now he is alone. And actually, I think a bigger tragedy has occurred. No one is there to celebrate his miracle. Nobody's there to say, way to go, man. What was it like when you were blind? Tell me what it's like to see your dad, your mom, your Lord for the first time. Nobody's cheering this guy on. Most of the crowd is criticizing this guy. Then Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, oh, he went after him. <laughs> Jesus always runs after you when you're at your lowest. When nobody's there to celebrate with you, guess what? Jesus is going to celebrate with you. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, now this is where I'm going. For judgment, I have come into this world. There's a certain judgment that is not judgee, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. See what Jesus did there? Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Uh, yeah. If you were blind, in other words, you, if you were humble, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, legalists always say, I know better, I see better. Your guilt remains. So my question for you is this, how's your vision, your own vision these days? Are you seeing clearly? Let me show you just a, like a really quick, short 
second video of this little guy I found on the internet who gets glasses and sees clearly for the very first time. Check this out. Christian. Christian. Open your eyes, buddy. Hi. 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 Hi, Munchkin. <laughs> <laughs> you like them? I think um, I don't even know if they're upside down. They, they look upside down. Hi. <laughs> nice. Let's try it again. No, that's right. They that's have right? things. Oh, okay. Hi. Yeah, you got to put him down more. Like that. The guy can't get it right. There you go. <laughs> oh. Hi. You like him, huh? <laughs> I believe his name is Christian. <laughs> Some of y'all could just preach it right here. It is a life-changing day when religious, legalistic, narrow-minded, and nearsighted people who claim to be Christians see grace and relationship for the first time. Joy, just like that little boy, replaces judging. Let me read one more scripture to you and then kind of just give you something to think about as we close out here. It's the idea of being blind or seeing. And Jesus told them this parable in Luke 6. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher. In other words, we learn to be legalists. But everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank, King James Version, the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, talking to legalistic people who are supposed to know better. First take the plank out of your eye, then you'll clearly be able to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I have my own plank up here. And this is exactly the kind of church we don't want to be. Jesus said, why are you trying to judge legalistic, take a speck, a little preference out of somebody's eye, when you got yourself looking pretty much like this? Come on. You know, it's hard to walk like this with this thing sticking out of your eye. You run into stuff. You, run, you do destructive things. But I know people all the time who walk around with this in their eye. Now, I'm not talking about doctrinal stuff. I'm talking, when you learn to see people through the lens of love and not legalism, God will set you free. When you learn the optics of living by grace, and can I just say to this, it's not easy. It's muddy sometimes to get your eyes fixed. It's messy sometimes to get your eyesight right. Relationship is a messy thing sometimes. We might just call it messy grace, Right? I don't know all the things. I haven't figured it all out yet. But I know I don't want to be this guy. Because this is what turns people off. And Jesus said, if you'll just figure out what grace looks like, it'll take care of your guilt. If you'll figure out the look of love and not the look of legalism, it will radically redirect your life. 
Religion like this stinks. But relationship excels. It soars. It saves. We're going to see that next week. So I'm asking us this week to be a little less judgy, a little less like the two by four, and more like Jesus, who celebrated with a man who needed grace and not judgment. Man, all kinds of great next steps for you. I'm not saying you need to go buy a piece of wood, but maybe some little something to remind you this week about the temptation to seep into legalism. Pray for me that I would say the right thing at the right time to the right people in the right way and that my position, my disposition would not offend when I state my position. If you want some extra steps this weekend, we have some folks down front after the service here in just a little bit that'll pray for you. If you're brand new, especially if you're Moak Hills, wonderful. Some of y'all think, what in the world have I got into? This preacher got a two by four up there on Oak Hills Sunday. Go Highlanders. Go Jesus. But if you're brand new, at the end of the ramp, we'd love to have you there. It's food pantry weekend. Take a bag as you leave. And man, don't forget, next week is all in. And we're going to gather here and celebrate God's amazing grace. Let's stand together. I want to pray. And then I'm asking our bagpipers to come back, play a little tune for you. The song by which you may recognize, for it is the theme of the day of grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the wonderful people that you have put in our life that teach us right from wrong, truth from grace. Help us, God, to be people who are less quick to judge and more to love And God, uh, I pray that we would right-size our own vision. Help us not to be blind to our problems. Help us to see clearly others through your lens. And God, thank you that many of us were blind and now we see. And it's all because of your abundant, amazing grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Come on back.
Awesome. Good job. Good job. Appreciate our Oak Hill student bagpipers as well as Bill Frank, their leader. Awesome job, Bill, getting our folks who are prepared today. You have never experienced a worship service like you just have with all these elements. I'm just saying right now, God bless you. Go in grace. See you next weekend.